Jesus was leaving the east side of Galilee. And when he left the east side of Galilee, he left there two men that were formerly possessed by a legion of demons. These two men wanted to accompany Jesus, but Jesus told them, no, stay where you are. Go tell what the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And those two men began to publish and tell everybody where they were from what Jesus did for them. So as they were doing the good work on the east side, Jesus went to the west side of Galilee. And as he arrived on the shore, as usual, everybody was there on the beach waiting for Jesus. And he hooked up with Levi Matthew, and there he is, hanging out with the publicans and the sinners, as usual. But there came a man, a ruler of the synagogue. Now you would think this man is of a Jewish origin, of high authority, a distinguished man that would not be associated with publicans and sinners. But yet this man came into the presence of Jesus at Levi Matthew's house. Why? Because this man had a great need. He had a need that no one on this planet could fix for him. His daughter was lying at the point of death, and he heard about Jesus. And he comes to Jesus' feet, worshiping him, and he says, Master, if you come to my house, put your hands on my daughter, she will be made whole. Now that was a mighty, bold proclamation of faith. Not maybe, not probably, you come over and she will be made whole. Have you ever made a prayer in faith like that? Lord, I know that you will do this. You will do this in Jesus' name. But now that faith for this man named Jairus was about to be tested. And as Jesus, who cannot resist a humble prayer, O Lord, thou will not despise the brokenhearted. You see, sometimes it takes for us to be in a situation where we know we need God. Doesn't matter our status, our rank in life, because no man can fix that kind of problem. So Jesus couldn't resist that prayer, and he walks with Jairus. But there was someone else that day who heard of Jesus. Someone else who was also in desperate need. Someone else who had invested all her time and money to seek the world, but the world couldn't help her. In fact, the world made her ailment grow worse. And she saw Jesus there on the beach, couldn't get to him because of her ailment, because of her disease. She saw Jesus with Levi Matthew, and she saw Jairus there, and she thought in her mind, maybe I could meet him at the shortcut, at the crossroads. And so she goes there because she sees Jesus walking with Jairus. But as she arrives at her spot, he couldn't see her. She didn't get his attention. He was so close, but so far. And she reached out because he couldn't hear her. He he didn't notice her, but she thought, if I could just touch his garment, if my finger can just scrape his robe, I will be made whole. Now that was another bold proclamation of faith. Have you ever prayed 
and you were broke before you prayed. And when you got up off your knees, you were still broke. You had a, you had a storm in your life when you prayed, and you got up and the storm was still there. But when you said in Jesus' name, amen, were you, okay, Lord, I don't know if you're going to answer it, but I'm still in the same boat. Or did you say in Jesus' name, amen, and you rejoiced in the Lord? You were excited and experienced that answer to prayer before it happened. This woman said, I will be made whole while she was still sick. I will be made whole. She touched the hem of his garment. Jesus was thronged by the people. There were many people along the side of that road that day that were saying, Jesus, thou son of David, help me, have mercy on me. And on the way to Jairus' house, Jesus was reaching, he was teaching, he was preaching, he was healing. But out of all those people crying out to Jesus that day, touching Jesus that that day, only one person touched his clothes. He turned around in the press and said, who touched my clothes? The disciples said, we're all around you. Everybody's pressing in on you. What do you mean who touched your clothes? He said, I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. Power has left me. Righteousness has gone out of me. She didn't ask permission. It's as if she just took it. He turned around and saw this woman, for she could not be hid. And when the disciples saw the eyes of Jesus and they followed his sight, they looked at this woman, and everybody looked at this woman. Jairus looked at this woman. The sea parted, and the spotlight was on her. And she, trembling, came forth. And she began to say how she gave her whole life to the world. She sought its comforts. For 12 years, she was in pain. 12 years in the dungeon, 12 years in darkness, and nothing made her better. All the lust of man is for his appetite, the Bible says, and yet his soul is not filled. And when she began to tell the story of how she believed, how she reached, how she touched, how she was restored, can you imagine? This woman had just experienced the healing, and right after that, She's testifying. Can you imagine the tears out of her eyes? The trembling in her voice? The gratitude? The people were so moved at that scene that Matthew had to write about it in the Gospels. Mark heard about it, and he had to write about it. Luke heard about it, and he had to write about it. When Jesus asked that question, it wasn't because he didn't know. It was because we need to get to know. Jairus, are you paying attention, Jairus? Did you just see what happened, Jairus? As Jesus was saying these good things to this woman, afterwards he said, daughter, be of good comfort. Go home and be whole of thy plague, for thy faith hath made thee whole. While Jesus was saying these things to her, while he yet spake, Here comes two friends from Jairus' house, and Jairus knew these guys. He didn't have to hear their words to see the look on their faces to know that they're bringing bad news. Not my little girl. You know, when we encounter bad situations, we we, we go into the place of denial. No, that didn't happen. She's not dead. And as they get closer, they say, leave the master alone. 
for your daughter is dead. My son is five months old, as I shared with you all, and I couldn't imagine the devastation of hearing that my son has passed. The denial I would feel, the sadness, the shock, maybe the anger, Jesus. I said, you will, if you touch her, she will be made whole, Jesus. But why are you healing all these people with blindness and deafness? And this lady has an issue of blood. My daughter's about to die. Why didn't you go heal her first and come back for these people? Why were you so late, Jesus? I had faith. I believed you would do it. Nothing has changed, Jesus. It was at that moment when Jairus' heart sunk to the depths of despair and depression and hopelessness that Jesus looked at him and said these words, be not afraid, only believe. It is when your heart is destitute of your spirit. It is when the clouds of depression and stress hover above your heads. It is then you must let living Pierce the darkness and scatter the clouds. Be not afraid, only believe. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalms 57. Psalms 57. Psalms 57. You have to listen to this and get this. If you have it on your phone, go to Psalms 57. David was on the run from King Saul, running for his life. I don't know if any of you in this room have ever lived in a cave with your family, with your children, with your brothers, with your father, with your loved ones in a cave, not knowing where you're going to get your next meal from, not knowing if your kids or your family are going to survive, not knowing that if you step out that cave, you would be spotted by the enemy. We see the news about these, this terrible brutality of ISIS and, and groups like that in the Middle East and how they're beheading people and all these barbaric acts. But in the time of David, these so-called barbaric acts were a way of life. It was a natural thing to be butchered, to be cut by the edge of the sword. And David and his family was facing death and uncertainty. And he picks up his heart, harp after he comes under the power of the Holy Spirit, and writes this song, this psalm, in Psalms 57. And this is what he says. Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions and I lie even among them that are set on fire. Even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. Are you kidding me? This brother is facing death, about to die, and he's in the cave talking about, Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. 
Let thy glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit before me into the midst whereof they are fallen themselves. Selah. My heart is fixed, O God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Awake up, my glory. Awake up, sultry and harp. I myself will awake early. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the nations, for thy mercy is great unto the heavens, and thy truth unto the clouds. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens, and thy glory be above all the earth. It is in these moments when you're in the cave, my family, that when you praise God, when you get up off your knees, in the middle of this storm, when you give him praise and exalt his name, that you touch his clothes. Amen. The Bible says in, I, in Psalms 50, at the end of the chapter, whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. Amen. Listen to this. You reveal God's character when you praise God in your storms. Amen. You are showing and telling the Lord and everybody else that my God is greater than my storm. That my God is still on the throne and I'm going to be happy and exalted and give his name praise and exalt his name. Excuse me. Why? Because he has nothing but good plans in my future. He is the Lord that says peace be still in my life. Be not afraid, Jairus, only believe. And he went to Jairus' house. And just like Jairus, I can imagine him in denial. But in those days, the funeral procession, they would hire hundreds of women to weep and wail and play instruments. And so I can imagine Jairus, before he even gets close to his house, he can hear the weeping and the wailing going on. And as he rounds that corner and he goes down his street, he can see the crowd outside his house. No, now it's outside my house. It's undeniable now as he walks in the house and sees the body of his lifeless daughter touches her pale skin. Can't even hear the pulse of her breath. Everything his senses are telling him is that his daughter is dead. But God is asking Jairus to get out of the realm of his senses and into the realm of faith. Do not believe what you see, what you hear, what you feel, what you think. Just look to me. Look to me. When Jesus got into that house, you know what the people did? First of all, they were weeping and wailing and moaning. And then when Jesus said, why are you guys making all, why are you guys crying and making all this ruckus for her? The child is not dead. She's only asleep. When he said that, they laughed him to scorn. They started laughing at Jesus. How are you going to tell us this? You weren't here. We know what death looks like. You don't even know what she looks like. How, you have the nerve to come and say that to us. Here is the resurrection and the life stepping into the room. And they're laughing at him. Here we are moping and kicking rocks when he says, is my hand shortened at all that I cannot redeem? Have I no power to deliver? Behold, I dry up the sea. He says, before the day was, I am he. And we're moping about a hundred bucks, a thousand bucks, our kids in trouble. Wherefore did Sarah laugh, the angel said to Sarah? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And Sarah was afraid, and she said, I laugh not. And he said to her, nay, but thou didst laugh. Nothing is impossible for God. But when we think it's absurd, 
When we're carrying our heads down, depressing and weeping and moping, we wound the Savior by our lack of faith. Every failure that we have in our lives is due to a lack of faith. You know what happened to those people that were weeping and laughing? Jesus put them out. And they were not able to see the salvation of the Lord. He went into that room and said, daughter, Talitha Kumi, I say unto thee, arise. Push your petitions to the throne. You hold on to that garment by faith. Regardless of what you see, what you experience, what you feel, be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. And let thy glory be above all the earth. You know why? Because the Lord is faithful and true, my friends. And the Lord loves you with an everlasting love. How is it you have no faith? Oh, ye of little faith. If you would have faith the size of a mustard seed, according to thy faith, so be it unto thee. Woman, great is thy faith. I have not found faith like this. No, not in Israel. When the Son of Man cometh, Shall he find faith? Daughter, son, be of good comfort. Go home and be whole of thy plague. For thy faith hath made thee whole. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Give us the courage to believe and praise you in the storm. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says in James that faith is the victory. The Bible also says in Revelation 14, 12, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and what, everyone? The faith of Jesus. Testimonies, Revelation 12, 17. The faith. I thank you, brother, for sharing that because what I'm going to present The only thing that's going to get you through is faith. The type of faith that he describes so so beautifully is the type of faith that would get each and every one of us through this time of trouble. So let's speed on through. What time is it? Somebody give me the time. Okay. The, The phrase, the time of trouble, let me pray one more time. Sorry. Father, I want to praise you, I want to lift you up, and I want to say thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The phrase, the time of trouble, is actually found in the Bible eight times, that phrase. We're not going to go through all the scriptures, but these are the scriptures. And I've, I don't know if everybody was here in the previous presentations, but if you're interested in any of the slides, just um, come see me or my wife who's not here. We got a list, and you can put your email on there and I'll be more than happy to give you the slides. Um, But let's look at the first scripture, Job 38, verse 23. And we get an understanding of what the Bible says is the time of trouble, what happens in the time of trouble. And this is what the word of God says. Hast thou entered into the treasures of snow? Or hast thou seen the treasures of the hail, which I have reserved against the time of trouble, against the day of battle and war? So God clearly is saying in the book of Job that I have a reservoir, I've got a stash of hail that I'm just holding back for the time of trouble. Is that clear? 
Notice what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 16. Now, Revelation chapter 16 is about what? Does everybody, anybody know? The plagues, right? Revelation 16 is about the seven last plagues. Notice what the Bible says. And there fell upon men a great, what's the next word? Hail out of heaven. Every stone about the weight of a talent and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail. Line upon line, precept upon precept is how we study the Bible. Amen? Amen. So we put these two scriptures together and we find out that when the hail is unloaded, that's when the time of trouble starts. So in other words, when the plagues hit, that is the time of trouble. If that's clear, say amen. amen. That's what the Bible says. Here's another verse. And at that time shall Michael stand up. So we know automatically this is the time of the plagues. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. So Michael stands up when the plagues are commenced. Is that clear? Yes. Amen. Praise God, we still have time. Amen. Amen. Oh, you have to say amen louder than that. Praise amen. the Lord, amen. we still have time. Amen. You know, I, I know, I know some of us, when I got saved, you know, you're ready for Jesus to come. Yes, Lord, come, come, come. But then I think about my family members who don't know Jesus. And I, and I praise God for the time. Amen. Even for me, because I need to still get some things worked out. Amen. And so we have time, judgment is still going on, and we want to be the guy to the left, not the guy to the right, because he's all alone. You can't stand before the law all alone. You want Jesus next to you. Amen? Amen. All right. And at that time when judgment is done, Jesus will say these words. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. I'm not going to go through the whole scripture because there's a lot of slides, but he will declare this when judgment is done. And then when he declares those words... Then the great time of trouble starts. When the plagues fall, that actually commences what's known as the great time of trouble. And it's great because plagues fall and also probation closes. Judgment's done. Jesus stands up. Everybody's made their decision. He's no longer interceding and things get really crazy. But did you know there's actually a time of trouble before probation closes? And it's called the short time of trouble. Did you know that there's also a time of trouble after the plagues fall? <laughs> and it's called Jacob's time of trouble. Now, we're just going to talk about the short time of trouble. This is the period of time. And, I, and, I, and I'm happy. I think everybody was here when I spoke last night. Um, what I spoke on last night was the short time of trouble. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about last night because this is the short time of trouble while probation is still open, not closed. Right. Okay. So let's talk about the short time of trouble. Here's a little diagram that I put together. Now, now, the Lord helped me with this message because I was very curious, like, Lord, what do, you, what do we need to expect in the end times? Like order, you know, what, what's going to happen? Now, I'm not saying I know everything because I don't, but um, here's what I found out by reading several of Sister White books and, and uh, the Word of God. Now, I've got three things in the beginning there. I've got the short time of trouble starts, this is the initiation of it, the latter rain and the Sunday law initiate the short time of trouble. 
Now, there's some of us in the church who believe that the Sunday law is going to come first and then the latter rain. I used to think that too. But then I started thinking, and I'm still in prayer mode about this. It makes sense to me that God will prepare you before the trouble. So, but I also understand this. The latter rain is a season. It doesn't happen in one day. It's a season. So the rain will be pouring through the whole short time of trouble. Also, the Sunday law is progressive. You understand what I mean when I say it's progressive? It's going to get worse and worse and worse. You you understand that? So I I fully believe where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. As the wickedness in the earth increases, so would the power of the latter rain. Is that clear? But when you see these things happening, as we've seen the movements right now, when the Sunday law initiates and it really passes, then you know the short time of trouble is initiated. That's going to go all the way until probation closes, which we know from reading the book of Job is when the seven last plagues hit. And that initiates the great time of trouble. So when the seven last plagues hits, then, you know, probation's closed. Okay, here's a good one. You you brought up another topic. When the latter rain falls, I wish we had time. The latter rain is the ceiling. Now, Acts 3.19 says, you can go to Acts 3.19. Your sins are blotted out. Let's go there. And if we don't get through it all, we don't. We just, we just let the Lord lead this. Amen. Amen. Acts 3.19. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Now this scripture is referring to the latter rain. Now, there's something very important that we need to focus on in this scripture is that he says, Peter, uh, I'm sorry, Luke writes this, but Peter says it, that your sins will be blotted out. Right now, our sins are not blotted out. And during the judgment, when we confess our sins, they are covered. Blessed Blessed is the man whose transgression is covered. I think, what book of Psalms is that? Psalms 51, whose sin is covered. Our sins are covered. When the record is wiped clean and judgment is done for God's people, then it's blotted out. And so when you, rece- when you pray for the latter rain, do you know what you're praying for? You're praying for judgment to be complete on your soul. Because when the rain falls, it's a symbol that your sins are blotted out. If you also go to Revelation, um, I don't want to get off track too much. Revelation 15 Is it 15 or is it 16? You know what? I don't want to get into this search here where we're wasting time. I'm trying to find the scripture where the, where the angel grabs the coals off the altar and he throws it. We'll come back to that. Praise the Lord. But the sins blotted out. When, when God's people receive the sealing or the latter rain, it, it, servant of the Lord says this. Not, not one soul will receive the latter rain without overcoming every besetment. Perfect book for you to read is Last Day Events. Awesome book. She will describe everything you need to know way better than, than I can. Yes, sir. Uh, Revelation 8, 5. 
Thank you. It is eight. It is eight. Now the, now the angel throws the coals from off the altar. Now the altar represents prayer, which we're praying for the latter rain. And he throws the coal, representing, which represents that the latter rain, the coal of the altar. Now remember Isaiah chapter 6. What did the coal of the altar do to Isaiah? It purged him from all sin. So when the, when the angel takes the coal and he scatters it before the earth, and by the way, this is in Ezekiel chapter 10 as well, right after God's people are marked, it says an angel throws the coal. When the coals come down upon earth, it, it represents the latter rain because it's sealing or blotting out the sins, a representation that all God's people's sins have been blotted out, those who have been sighing and crying for the abominations. I don't want to get too, too deep, but the sealing for God's people is the probation is closed for God's people. Judgment is, is, is you're sealed. Because though you have to overcome every besetment, she says, in order to be sealed. Pray about it. Study it on your own. Amen. Because this time period between this short time of trouble is the time for the three angels' message to shine to pull people out of Babylon. Now, now, now get this. There are people in the message or in the church who are in Babylon. Did you get it? God will never uh, uh, leave somebody condemned unless they have the full light brought to them. You understand that? Okay, let's move forward. We'll ask the Holy Spirit to continue. Holy Spirit, God, Father in heaven, help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so... Then after the seven plagues, right, that's, that's probation closed for everybody. Seven last plagues, it's done for everybody. No, chan- no more chances. Then during that time, then when the death decree is announced, which is universal, that signifies Jacob's time of trouble. And now you can understand why, because it is a death decree. Now, just because it is a death decree doesn't mean nobody's not going to die between the sh- the, in the short time of trouble. And then the second coming. This is just a, believe it or not, a, somewhat of a basic outline. Yes, sir. But when, when the people are sealed, I mean, the, the sealing doesn't mean that they won't die. It doesn't mean they won't die. You, you got it. It does not mean that. Might be some death. You got it. Servant of the Lord says when the seven last plagues hit, no one else will die. Oh. I'm glad you brought that up. Because the death decree occurs. That's why, you know what? God has given us these revelations for a purpose. And I think it's so important that we understand this. Why does does she write about this? Right? If we see the seven last plagues, and then they issue a universal death decree, what are we going to do? We're going to have faith in God. Right? In his word. Wait a minute, Lord. You already told us that when the seven last plagues fall, we are going to be okay. So you know what I'm going to do at this time? I'm going to praise your name. Because any day soon, I'm going to see you busting through the clouds. Amen? Amen. Then you know you get to see his coming. And you better be rejoicing. And you'll be in the cave too, just like David. (laughs) God willing. All right. Let's get through. This This is her statement in the beginning of the early writings, page 85. The commencement of that time of trouble, speaking of the short time, that's all we're talking about. Here mentioned does not refer to the time when the plague shall begin to be poured out. 
but to a short period just before they are poured out while Christ is in the sanctuary. At that time, while the work of salvation is closing, trouble will be coming on the earth and the nations will be angry, yet held in check so as not to prevent the work of the third angel. And at that time, the latter rain or the refreshing from the presence of the Lord, we just read that, will come to give power to the loud voice of the third angel and prepare the saints to stand in the period when the seven last plagues shall be poured out. Amen. This is a heavy paragraph. Again, I'll email the slides. Short time of trouble is the climax of the great controversy. It really is. Revelation chapter 13 is Satan's last master plan. Revelation 14 is Christ's master plan. Amen. They will come to head in the short time of trouble. All the forces of hell will be unleashed in the short time of trouble. Because guess what? When the, when, the, when, when, when the plagues fall, probation's closed. Amen. Satan already got all his people. And God already got all his people. Amen. So the climax is in the short time of trouble. God is trying to get everybody into the ark. Satan's trying to keep them out of the ark. And so it's going to come to a crescendo during the short time of trouble. I don't even know why it's called the short time of trouble, but hey. This is what we talked about before. When this country, a Protestant nation, will enact the Sunday law, this is the sign. And we already see signs of things happening. When our nation and its legislative council shall enact laws to bind the consciences of men in regard to their religious privileges, enforcing Sunday observance and bringing oppressive power to bear against those who keep the seventh day Sabbath, the law of God will to all intents and purposes be made void in our land and national apostasy will be followed by national ruin. When this happens, the blessing that is upon this country will totally be gone. I know that's a crude picture. <laughs> but the Christian churches of the, of the world, of this country, are still linked to Rome. And you see the Bible behind them. But they're linked to, I, 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 I don't know. I, 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 okay, I, I don't know about that picture. <laughs> I, meant, I think I meant to erase that one. Through the two great, great eras, the immortality of the soul and Sunday sacredness, this is Satan's master plan, especially in Revelation 13, in the short time of trouble. These two things. Satan will bring the people under his deceptions. I want to make a correction. I mentioned a uh, Seventh-day Adventist pastor producing this movie. I said he was ordained. He is not ordained. Okay? Somebody corrected me, and I'm correcting myself now, and it's on audioverse. Amen. But, praise the Lord, because I, I said he was ordained on audio verse, so um, he's not. But the point is, it's a Seventh-day Adventist minister who's uh, produced a movie, and uh, that's all I have to say. And you see spiritualism working, even in the church, and you already know about Sunday sacredness. When Protestantism, now this is powerful, shall stretch her hand across the gulf to grasp the hand of Roman power. Is that happening now? Now watch this. When she shall reach over the abyss. Who's she? Protestantism, right? When Protestantism, I got a little list, shall reach over the abyss to clasp hands with what? Spiritualism. Hmm, is that happening now? Yes. Hello. When under the influence of this threefold union, so we can see this union coming even stronger and stronger right now. 
Our country shall repudiate every principle of its constitution and a pro as a Protestant and Republican government and shall make provision for the propagation of papal falsehoods and delusions. Then we may know that the time has come for the marvelous working of Satan and that the end is near. Powerful quote. We see those things happening. And so we can expect very shortly the marvelous workings of Satan. We already see it now in the churches. But there will be an increase of this satanic activity. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him and with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. When the Sunday law is instituted, as I said, it's progressive. It may start off, you know what, if you don't keep Sunday, we'll fine you. You have to pay a fine. Then it may get worse. You're going to go to jail. Then eventually... After probation closed, it's going to be a death decree. You know, they're not only going to say worship on Sunday, they're going to say stop keeping the Sabbath. At first, it's just honor Sunday, do what you want need to do. But then it's going to be honor Sunday and don't honor any other day. I want to talk a little bit about the false prophets, the Protestant movements within this church. I was speaking with somebody earlier and the question was raised. Um, do they know that they're being used by Satan? Or are they oblivious? I think they know. You think they know? Roger Murnau. Praise the Lord. If you haven't read Roger Murnau's book, A Trip to the Supernatural, you need to. Um, but let's study this a little bit. Because what the Bible is saying is that the Protestant churches, led by these ministers, are going to be full of demons. The, second, the, the third angel's message Powered up by the latter rain says, come out of Babylon because she's become the habitation of devils. That means all the Protestant churches are filled with every unclean spirit. Ministers will be filled with demons preaching, but how does it happen? This is a scripture in Jeremiah. Then the Lord said unto me, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. I sent them not, neither have I commanded them, neither spake unto them. They prophesy unto you a false vision and divination, a thing of naught and the deceit of their heart. But let's talk a little bit about it. Here's the scripture right here. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, same language, and, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness, in them that perish, because they receive not the love of what, everyone? That they might be saved. And for this cause... God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth. So God is saying that he presents truth to people. Those who reject truth automatically come under a delusion. And so there's going to be ministers who have been convicted on the Sabbath, who've chosen not to accept it. And I know ministers who, who's done that. Rejected the Sabbath because they don't want to lose their congregation. They've been worshiping on Sunday for so long. God is saying if you do that, you set yourself up for delusion. And therefore, when they're preaching in the last days, they'll be fully deluded that, they'll be, they're, that, they're, they're, that they're representing God and on his side. You get it? Not only that, I want to share the story with Saul. This is deep. When Saul didn't listen to the word of the Lord, it says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Watch this. 
if you reject God's word to a certain extent, the Bible says that's rebellion. And rebellion is witchcraft. Now watch this. If you reject God's word, that's witchcraft. Do you, ha- do you see how powerful it is? And it's all going to make sense as we go further. If you reject the word of the Lord, and this is powerful because in 1 Samuel chapter 15, he says the Lord has rejected you. Do you know what happened in 1 Samuel 16? The Bible says an evil spirit fell upon Saul. Do you know what witchcraft means in this verse? It means communication with devils. So by rejecting the word of the Lord, you know what he did? He opened the back door for that delusion and for satanic influence. You get it? So the false prophets, a lot of them, a lot of them, I can't say all of them, a lot of them will, 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 will become inhabited by Satan because they've rejected truth. And you know, you know what they've done? They've committed witchcraft and opened themselves, themselves up to be received of demons, all right? The Protestants of the United States will be foremost in stretching their hands across the gulf to grasp the hand of spiritualism. Now, this makes so much sense because a lot of the Protestant churches are rejecting truth. And so she says they'll be first to grasp hands with spiritualism. But are they doing that right now? You better believe it. With the false doctrines that are being held, such as this one. Immortality of the soul is one of the oldest lies. It probably is the oldest lie. It is the oldest lie. Ye shall not surely die. The first lie ever told. Now, this is Satan's masterpiece. Servant of the Lord said he's been cultivating this masterpiece and he's going to unfold it in the short time of trouble. And so right now, the majority of the Protestant churches believe when you go to when you die, you go straight to heaven. Where do they get that belief from? We're going to skip that. We know what the Bible says. We'll come back to where they got that belief from. But not only is it a belief in the church, it's a belief in the world. The church, when I say the church, I mean the Protestant churches and the world all believe in these spirits. There's so many shows out there now. All these shows are people communicating with evil spirits who think they're supposedly loved ones, dead children, dead uncles and aunts. And they all have these equipments and machines and they communicate with these spirits. And a lot of them profess belief in Christ. Really quick. This doctrine that when you die and you go to heaven, it came straight from Babylon, from the Roman Catholic Church. I went on their website, and this is what it says. What is the official church teaching on what happens after our earthly bodies die? Are we dead until judgment day, or do we immediately go to heaven or hell or purgatory? Answer, although physical humans body, human bodies die, human souls never die. What does the Bible say? First Timothy 6.16, only God alone hath immortality. Amen? Amen? The Catechism of the Catholic Church teaches that every spiritual soul is immortal. It does not perish when it separates from the body at death, and it will be reunited with the body at the final resurrection. Watch this. So at the moment of death, the soul separates from the body, is judged immediately. Wait a minute. What does the first angel's message tell us? When is judgment happening? Right now. You see how important it is to know our doctrines? Amen. The state of the dead. And enters in. So their false doctrine from Babylon, this is one of the examples of the Reformation that was not complete with the Protestant churches. 
These are the doctrines they held on to. So why is, this so, why is it so bad that you believe that, you know, when your grandma dies, she goes to heaven? Why is that so bad? Servant of the Lord says, you want to answer that? Ecclesiastes 9, 5 says that the dead know nothing. The dead know nothing. In the conversations I have with the people of other faiths, I say, well, if all God's good people die and go straight up to heaven, why is Jesus coming back? Wasting a trip. Number, number one question I asked, too. I asked, I, I, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. But they don't th- see the harm in this. But, you know, Satan is a master strategist. If you believe that your family goes to heaven when you die, that opens up the door easily. If, if, a, if your grandma walks into your room with a beautiful message for you, you will accept her. What's to say you're not my grandma because you already believe she goes to heaven straight away? Why wouldn't God send her to you with a message? Watch what servant of the Lord says. A belief in spiritual manifestations opens the door, we already talked about that door, to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And thus, the influence of evil angels will be felt in the churches. I asked the Lord, I said, how do the Protestant churches become the habitation of devils? How do they become a house full of demons. God says, if you keep holding on to this false doctrine, you see what happened in the Reformation was when they left the beast and they all acknowledged Rome as the beast, they left and they came to this country. They were running from the beast. And imagine the United States being a a safe house. They came to the safe house, locked all the front doors, but they left two windows wide open. Sunday sacredness and immortality of the soul. And so while they had, they thought they were safe, the devil had access back into the churches. And so the churches in the United States will become the habitation of demons. Number one, rejecting truth and the belief in the immortality of the soul. Am I making sense? And so it opens the way for this. We see this going on right now. And it's so prevalent right now because of those doors and those doctrines that they believe in. And my brother David shared with s- something with me so powerful and <laughs> about the kin- Kindaluni. Did I say it right? Kundalini movement. Um, could you raise your hand, Dave? More information on that, please see him. Because he, he showed me something that was mind-blowing. Everything that you see in the churches nowadays. Now, this woman right here, there's a leader of the charismatic movement. That's his wife right there. She's in the middle of her head shaking. I kid you not, it was one of the scariest things I've ever seen. She's on TV, supposedly full of the Holy Ghost, and her head is going back and forth so fast. She's headbanging harder than a rock and roll star. And she's going like this and saying, God is giving me a message. And she's speaking, her voice is not trembling. And she's speaking, supposedly from the Holy Ghost, giving this message, and her head is going like this. The marvelous working of Satan. And everything that you see displayed now is displayed in the Kindulina, which is Eastern mysticism. They do this in India. And you look at them. He showed me a video of them them doing it in India. And I said, you know what? It looks just like a Pentecostal church. And you see it in the churches today. The marvelous workings of Satan. Now, understand this. Out of all the movements to reach their hand across the gulf, and come together with Rome. The number one movement that's right now on board to be on board with Rome is the charismatic movement. The charismatic movement is the most, I'm gonna just speak the truth, demonic movement 
in the Protestant churches. They're most they're the most heavily active in spiritual manifestations, such as what I saw. That lady shaking her head. She belongs to this movement. That guy, Kenneth Copeland, there's videos on YouTube of him laughing in the spirit, being drunk in the spirit. You're watching demons. And so I'm not recommending you watch it. But out of all the movements, the charismatic movement specializes in dancing in the spirit, being slain in the spirit, laughing in the spirit. I kid you not. There was a preacher. Two men were holding him up and he was laughing so hard. And each person he got close to, he touched them. That person broke out in laughter in the church. And then he's going around and all of a sudden there's a bunch of people in the audience. He just moves his hand like this and the whole audience falls out in laughter, uncontrollable laughter. The devil's already in the churches. You see, Satan manifesting himself right now. You see, we, we, we read the stories in the Bible where Jesus wrestling demons. We say, we don't see that. It's going on right now. But it's, it's under the guise of Christianity where even ourselves, we question, is that really Satan? Will God really allow Satan to get in the church? They're praising Jesus' name. They're, they're, they're worshiping God and they're, they're opening the Bible. Will God do that? I don't know about you, but I've never read in my Bible from Genesis to Revelation where the Holy Spirit portrays himself like that. Not in one scripture, but I've read where Satan does. Drunk in the spirit. Ministers behind the pulpit because of Acts chapter 2. I've seen it. All those, the, the picture I showed with those people with the Pope, they've done it. I've seen videos of Kenneth Copeland. He's sitting on the pulpit and he's literally acting drunk. He's slurring his tongue and he's going like this on the pulpit and he calls another pastor and they're slurring the word of God in the pulpit and calling it the Holy Ghost. This is Satan's plan in the last days. He's only prepping the world. This is what he's going to do with this spiritual manifestation. The saints must understand the state of the dead. For the spirits of devils will yet appear to them, professing to be beloved friends and relatives who would declare to them that the Sabbath has been changed. During the short time of trouble, the Sunday law will be in effect. These guys are going to be causing miracles from heaven. And then your loved ones are going to be visiting you saying, you know what? God has sent me from heaven to tell you that reverence such and such is of the Lord. And I've come with a special message to tell you that what he's preaching is true. The Sabbath has been changed. Not only that, notice this quote. Moreover, the apostles, the who? The apostles. As personated by these lying spirits are made to contradict what they wrote at the dictation of the Holy Spirit when on the earth. They deny the divine origin of the Bible and thus tear away the foundation of the Christian hope and put out the light that reveals the way to heaven. Did you hear what she just said? The apostles will be impersonated by the lying spirits. Let's move on. We read this last night. As the crown and act, Jesus himself impersonated by Satan will come. I didn't get to read this. They, everybody's screaming and shouting when he comes. He, he, he mimics Jesus' supposed voice. His melody is soft and it's gentle. He's compassionate and everybody's overcome with the spirit of worship. Now notice what Satan says when he comes. In his assumed character of Christ, he claims to have changed the Sabbath to Sunday. 
and commands all to hallow the day which he has blessed. Now notice this. This is the time when the Sunday law is being passed. Ministers are calling fire from heaven saying this is God's will. Then you have dead people visiting you. Then you have the apostles impersonated by spirits. And then you have, quote unquote, Jesus himself all preaching the same message saying that the Sabbath has been changed. And honor the law of the land. And then he blames you, all the, all the problems in the world on the Seventh-day Adventists. It's going to be a serious, this is called the short time of trouble. We haven't got to the great time of trouble. So imagine this, if you will. Jesus and his disciples, apostles, walking the earth. Can you imagine that? Jesus and the apostles walking the earth, backing the Protestant movement, uniting the whole world, doing marvelous miracles, dead spirits all proclaiming that the Sabbath has been changed. My brother talked about faith before this message. You can't trust the miracles. You won't be able to trust your eyes. The only thing that you would be able to trust is the word of God. Amen. Don't worry. We're going to talk about some hope in a minute. I know this is, oh, this is. Because guess what? Jesus has a plan. Jesus has a plan. In my Bible, I've never read anywhere in the word that Satan's power is greater than Christ's. I've never read anywhere in my word that the deceptions of Satan is greater than the grace and the Holy Spirit of Christ. Never in my Bible. As much as Satan can deceive, that's as much and much more Christ can clarify and save. You better believe it. I can tell you my testimony, and that's proof. God's plan is Revelation chapter 14. Satan is unloading all the guns in this storm. He's unloading all the cannons. He himself will walk the earth. To keep you from heaven. Impersonating the Savior. Now that is the greatest trick in the world. He is desperate to deceive. By any means necessary, he will make sure it's done. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Hallelujah. Do you know what that tells you and I? All the wickedness that we see in the world at that time. Satan walking the earth with his apostles, the dead spirits speaking against the Sabbath. God is promising us that grace will overpower any sin in the world. And what we've covered so far is a great amount of sin. It's the climax of sin. So can you imagine how much more power of God will be upon us? God will give us grace. Grace is to counteract sin. And he always, always gives you more grace than there is sin. Amen. So he will give you more power to deal with the sin and to save others from the sin. Because as I mentioned before, this is the time of the latter rain. You see, when Satan unloads, God says, OK, you want to unload? I'm going to unload, too. And he's going to let it pour. And folks, there's going to be so much power on the earth. I love this quote, the zeal of those who obey the Lord will be increased as the world and the church unite and make and void the law. Every objection raised against the commandments of God will make way for the advancement of the truth and enable its advocates to present its value before men. There is a beauty and force in the truth 
that nothing can make so apparent as opposition and persecution. Hallelujah. You know what she's saying? Satan's turning up the heat, but guess what that does? That actually will assist in the power of God being revealed in your life. The more trials come, the more power comes. And that means the more salvation will come, not only to you, but to those in Babylon. Oh, this is going to be a great time, folks. When that latter rain, Paul, at this time, then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord, his going forth is prepared as the morning and he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. And at that time, the latter rain or refreshing from the presence of the Lord will come to give power to the loud voice of the third angel and prepare the saints to stand in the period when the seven last plagues shall be poured out. Now, this is hardcore. This is one of the most hardcore messages, I think, ever. The latter rain is going to fall on the third angel, which is us. What are we saying? What does the third angel say? Look, notice this. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. That is a hardcore message. Now think about it. The beast, Satan, the false prophet, all are going to be saying, keep Sunday holy. To the point where they said, you know what? If you don't keep it holy and do away with your Sabbath, we're going to kill you. We're going to be preaching this message to them. Wait a minute. You, you said we're going to die? If you don't get out of Babylon, if you take the mark of the beast, you are going to drink of the wrath of God and you're going to be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and the lamb. You tell me which one is worse. Wait a minute. Do I, do I want to lose my head and gain eternal life? Or do I want to keep my head and suffer the plagues and then burn in hell fire never to live again? Hallelujah. Take my head, brother. Praise the Lord. You see how powerful this message is? Satan is threatening you with death. You're going to be threatening them with life. <laughs> Go ahead and take life, brother. Eternal life. And this message will be amped up by the Holy Ghost. You're going to be a lighthouse like nobody's business, I'm telling you. Nobody's business. You're going to have power that you never even imagined you've had. As the third message swells to a loud cry. Now, let me, let me tell you this. The latter rain plus the third angel equals the loud cry. You get it? The latter rain plus the third angel equals the loud cry. That's what the loud cry is. As the third message swells to a loud cry and as a great power and glory attends the closing work, the faithful people of God will partake of that glory. Hallelujah. It is the latter rain which revives and strengthens them to pass through the time of trouble. Their faces will shine with the glory of that light which attends the third angel. Would you say amen? amen. I am looking forward to the favor of the Lord. Amen. I heard those clothed with the armor speak forth the truth in great power. It had effect. I asked what had made this great change. An angel answered, it is the latter rain, the refreshing from the presence of the Lord, the loud cry of the third angel. Hallelujah. This is going to be an exciting time. Amen. 
This is, this is when Revelation 18 gets fulfilled. I'm not going to read the whole thing. You can read it on your own. Revelation 18, the first couple of verses, speaks about the loud cry. That's what it is. Revelation 18, the first couple of verses, is when the latter rain falls on the third angel. This is what we, you and I will experience by God's grace. And you know what's going to happen? The person that is shy in this room will be the first one preaching the gospel like nobody's business. Power will fall upon you. God will give you courage like the apostles. You're going to be standing on boxes, whatever it takes, to preach the third angel's message. And people will come when they hear the Spirit of the Lord. There will be baptisms galore. There will be thousands converted to the truth in a day who at the 11th hour see and acknowledge the truth and the movements of the Spirit of God. This is going to be a great time. As Satan is manifesting his power in the earth, God will manifest his power to the full in you. Hallelujah. Many souls will come. Souls that were scattered all through the religious bodies. I love this. Answer to the call. And the precious were hurried out of the doomed churches as Lot was hurried out of Sodom before her destruction. When I was on drugs, I went into a Bible study in my parents' house. My mind, I was high on drugs. My mind was foggy you know, of drugs and all the things that I was doing. But I was in the back of the, my, mom, my mom's Bible study because she told me to bring my daughters there. And I was there in the kitchen eating food. And as I'm sitting there with my mind in the fog and deluded by the tools of Satan, they were praising the Lord. They were worshiping him in spirit and truth. And there was something so powerful about the word of God that as I was sitting there high on drugs, the word of God was like a missile that traveled from the living room where worship was and penetrated this thick drug-induced mind, so much so that it awakened hope within the hopeless. I went home high on drugs thinking about Jesus, thinking about, wait a minute, can I be free? Is there hope for me in this world where before I had no hope, I was trapped in bondage? So those in Babylon who are deluded by Satan's manifestations, when the spirit of the Lord falls upon you, and you speak his word with power. His word is the resurrection and life. It'll wake up anybody under the delusions of Satan. And they will come when they hear the spirit of the Lord. They will hear his voice. There are many souls to come out of the ranks of the world, out of the churches, even the Catholic church, praise the Lord, whose zeal will far exceed of that of those who have stood in rank and file to proclaim the truth heretofore. Talked about Pastor Mark the other day. I can't wait to see this day when the Spirit of the Lord speaks with such power that Father such and such from the Vatican City comes out, takes his collar off, stands on the pulpit in the Vatican, and preaches the third angel's message. Hallelujah. I can't wait to see that day. But the sad truth is this, folks. It's going to be like Noah and just like the days of Noah. Many who hear the message by far the greatest number will not credit the solemn warning. The Lord's servants will be called enthusiasts. Ministers will warn the people not to listen to them. Noah received the same treatment while the Spirit of God was urging him to give the message. Whether men would hear or whether they would forbear. I just want to talk to you about the Sabbath. The issue will be over the Sabbath in the last days. You know what? I, I should probably go to the last slide and talk. There's so much more that we haven't covered, but 
The Sabbath is a sign of sanctification. Amen. Amen. And I'll just end on this note. The Sabbath is a sign of sanctification. The atmosphere of the world at that time will be pressuring us to give away the Sabbath. Many of us are deluded into thinking that, you know, as long as we turn off the TV, have the house clean, not watching TV, not playing video games, that we're keeping the Sabbath. But the Bible says in Exodus 31 and Ezekiel 20 that the Sabbath is a sign that I, the Lord, doth sanctify you. That's what it's about, sanctification. So what's sanctification? The word sanctification means that you are made holy and set apart. That's what the Sabbath is. Sabbath is made holy and it's set apart. The same thing God wants to do to you. He wants to make you holy and set you apart. So God says the Sabbath is a sign that you experience sanctification, that you experience yourself being made holy. How do you do that? There's three scriptures that I just want to share with you. The Bible says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Let's make it practical. Lord, does that mean if I read the Bible, am I sanctified? He says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. I'm just making it practical. Does that mean if I read the scripture, I become sanctified? No. Amen. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 13. There's three components of sanctification. This is the second one. God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. This scripture tells us clearly that it is the Holy Spirit that makes you holy. Amen. Amen? Amen. So does that mean, Lord, that if I just read your Bible and ask the Holy Spirit to make me holy, Am I experiencing sanctification? Because that's what the Sabbath is a sign of, that you experience sanctification. Does it mean I just read the word and pray, Holy Spirit, please give me understanding, make me holy? Am I being sanctified? No. no. You need all three components. Here's the last one. 1 Peter 1, 22. You can read the 1 Peter 1, verse 1 and 2 as well. Seeing you have purified or sanctified your souls in, what's that word? Obeying, thank you, brother, the truth, through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. The Sabbath is a sign that a Christian experiences this. I read the Word of God. I believe the Word of God. I know it's a high standard and I can't live up to it, so I plead for the Spirit of the Lord. But in faith, because I believe in the power of the Spirit, I will walk in obedience. And as I make that decision to walk in obedience, it is the Holy Spirit that empowers me to obey. And therefore, I am being sanctified. So the Sabbath is a sign that one is experiencing relationship. This process is talking about your relationship with Christ. Lord, if you're a young man and you're dealing with lust, Father, I have an issue with lust. You go to that scripture in Job. I have made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then shall I think upon a maid? And you grab that scripture and you say, Father, I want to make a covenant with my eyes not to think upon a maid, but I don't have the power to do it. You need the word first. Then you say, Lord, I need your spirit, but I will walk in obedience. So if a woman comes and she's not dressed correctly, I will close my eyes. But Father, keep me. Give me the power to keep them closed. (laughs) Amen. And you walk in humble obedience. Folks, you know what that's called? Righteousness by faith. 
And so when they say, I'm taking your Sabbath away, this is your experience with Christ. Because you know what? As you go through these moments and you say, Father, help me, and he gives you the victory. I did the same with cigarettes. I said, Lord, I grabbed Ezekiel chapter 20, and I read that thing, and I said, Father, I don't have the strength. Help me overcome. And I would read his word, and each time I would literally, literally walk up and down the house, symbolizing my walk in faith. And my faith was throwing away the cigarettes, throwing away the lighter, throwing away those things, throwing away temptation, walking in faith, trusting his word, claiming the promises. Because in the end time, that's all you're going to have is his word. If you don't experience that power now, woe unto you. And so the Sabbath is a sign that you experience the Holy Spirit moving in your heart, giving you victory over sin. And so when they say. Stop keeping the Sabbath. They're saying, stop your relationship with Jesus. And those who know what it is to be next to the Savior, who've experienced victory through his power, where he has never let them down, and he has come through time and time again on his word, You're going to say, go ahead and take my head, because I'll never let go of the hand of my Savior. And again, my plea to you is, do you know him? He's available. He's available. Shall we pray? Father, I thank you, Lord. I love the way you plan things, Lord. It's not my plans, so I know it's the best plan. Lord Jesus, I appreciate you more than I can express. I pray for your people, Lord, that they would know what it is to have you in their heart, you in their heart, that they would experience this close walk with you. So much so, Lord, that death would be a joke that nothing can separate them from the love of the Savior. Nothing. This is our plea, O Lord, that this will be our experience now. So when this time comes, we would have peace. We thank you, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.